Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. I hope you're all really well. Today's episode of Desert Island Dishes is brought to you in partnership with Sweaty Betty, and they've kindly given you, the Desert Island Dishes listener, a 20% off discount code to use online, which is simply Desert Island Dishes, all one word. There's a whole host of goodies on their website. I mean, I practically live in their power leggings, which are just the comfiest I've found, and they are my school uniform. But genuinely, I really am thrilled to have partnered with Sweaty Betty because they're a brand I really admire for more than just their clothes. I really like the way they do business. I'm a big fan of their positive messaging. And I like that they work with lots of different charities from Fallen Angels Dance Theatre, Body Positivity Movement, and also the anti-bullying charity Ditch the Label. So thank you very much to Sweaty Betty. Don't forget to leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Thank you so much for listening, and I'm going to stop waffling, and without further ado, here is today's episode. My guest today is Alice Living. Alice started her career on the stage as a dancer, singer, and actress touring the country in the musical Annie. She is now a three-times best-selling author, she's a personal trainer, and women's health columnist, a magazine for which she has graced the cover twice, and is also behind their number one app, Transform. Her mission is to change the way women feel about exercise, and it's a mission that has earned her well over 630,000 followers on Instagram. She's launched a range of activewear with Primark, and amidst all of this, she still continues to work on a one-to-one basis with her personal training clients. Alice has been described as being pint-sized, but powerful, which I kind of love. Welcome, <laughs> Alice. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. How great is that as a tagline? I think it's Pint-sized. Sort of, yeah, pint-sized, but powerful. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Maybe it's worthy of a tattoo or something. <laughs> oh my God, no. Do you know what? I actually have a fear of tattoos. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay, maybe just like a flag or something. <laughs> and what an incredible few years you've had. With how busy everything has been, do you think maybe you might relish the idea of going to the desert island for a bit, for a little break? I'm very excited about this <laughs> desert island, yes. I Yes, it has been really busy and I think now more than ever i appreciate holidays so much for what they are because obviously a a lot of the time with my work traveling is actually work related as well so it's making the distinction between this is actually a holiday which i am going on in four weeks where are you going we're going to dubai so just some nice like winter sun but yeah so for me definitely making the distinction between when i'm on holiday and when i'm working and trying to make time for proper holiday is key just the other week paddy and i went to the cotswolds for like three days and i just was like I I enjoyed it so much. Just not having to work, totally switching off. So yeah, the idea of a desert island sounds perfect. And are you good in your own company? I feel like you're quite Yes. I mean, I there's this weird thing at the moment. Like I think a lot of people are coming out saying, I'm an introvert. Yes. And I'm like, that's amazing. And I think all of us have introvert personality qualities. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but you know what I mean. You know, for me personally, I really enjoy my own space. I'm such a, you know, if you tick boxes of whether you're staying or go out or like be on your own or be with other people, I, I do like being on my own and I like staying in. And I, I'm quite like a sort of home bird. But 
Yeah, I guess I, th- I think I'm like 50-50. Yeah, it's a bit of both. bit yeah. of both. I think that's the best way to mm. be. You don't want to be too far one way. No. Let's dive straight into the first desert Perfect. island dish. And that's a dish that most reminds you of your childhood. So this is really easy for me. When I was growing up, my mum probably had on rotation like three or four dishes. And... I just remember like every day being on the school bus and at probably the same time at which I'd probably get on the school bus at like 10 past four, quarter past four, I would text my mum every day and be like, what's for dinner? <laughs> and nine times out of ten, I already knew the answer because they would be on rotation. What were they? But my favourite that reminds me of my childhood is definitely shepherd's pie because the, the, the few that were on rotation were spaghetti bolognese, yeah. shepherd's pie, fish pie, and then generally some like rogue dish that she'd throw in that might be like a stir fry or like a lasagna or something. But they were all like really home, yeah, homely. Got meals. all the classics. Yeah. There. So in terms of what reminded me of my childhood, that was my mom's speciality. She's a great cook, but those were kind of her go-tos. And it just, yeah, that, that instantly reminds me of my childhood. So good. And you say that your mum, she had quite a sweet tooth, didn't she? She did. Yeah. yeah. So as a child, I think you said that you didn't always eat sort of super healthily. And so I wondered no. with this huge lifestyle change that you've sort of undergone, mm. do your family now eat really healthily too? Yeah. I mean, my mum, my mum's own sort of I guess, weight loss journey and experience happened before mine. So she went through her own kind of, I wouldn't call it a weight loss journey, but she she did go uh, lose weight. But she also started exercising and she had like a real, I guess, lifestyle transformation is the the term that people (laughs) use now. And so you know, that didn't really influence our our meals that much. I guess they were a little bit healthier. But no, growing up, I think we had a really balanced approach to food. I remember enjoying everything from like having a dessert every day at dinner. The only thing I'd say is we didn't really have takeaways at all, just because my mum was a good cook. So we didn't really need them. So I do remember on the very, very odd occasion that we'd get one like a pizza or like we'd get Indian as well. It being like the biggest treat and just enjoying it so much. Yeah, growing up, we had, I'd say we had quite like a balanced approach to food and I didn't feel that I was pulled in any any way too much, but I kind of got to make my own decisions. But having said that, certainly one thing that I remember really well is um, when I went to uni, yeah. I'd never had a McDonald's before oh in my, my life. <laughs> um, so I remember going and I remember going with my friends after like one of our first freshers night outs and experiencing McDonald's for the first what time. What did you get? I think I got, it's not a McChicken burger, is it? Or like, oh, yeah, it is a McChicken yeah. burger. Okay, is that one, right? Yeah. So that, fries, ketchup, Diet <laughs> Coke, I think. I can't, re- I can't even remember because to be honest, I was pretty hammered anyway. But I just remember it being like the most amazing thing I'd ever tried. And then it was like my go-to destination, night out, McDonald's. Because we used to go out in Soho quite a lot because a lot of my friends are gay. And we used to go to Freedom and to um, GAY and all those kind of places. And we'd always end up having to get the train back from Charing Cross. So walking back through and going to the McDonald's that's on the route. Yeah, it was like my my weekly enjoyment was going to McDonald's on a really late, on a, probably on a, on a Sunday morning, actually. It's a student. <laughs> Student rite of passage. I know. I, think, I just remember it? having grown up, I'd never experienced it. So suddenly I felt like I had full freedom in my first <laughs> year of uni to just go and enjoy everything at McDonald's. You trained for three years at Bird College of mm. Dance and Theatre Performance. What exactly did that entail? Loads of hard work. I mean, like my uni experience is so different to anyone else that I've that I'm sort of come across because we trained for like I'd be in college at 
latest eight o'clock in the morning oh, and wow. I'd be there until six, seven, eight o'clock at night doing rehearsals or, you know, extra stuff. I danced for at least four to five hours a day. I had singing and acting every day. We would be pretty much working 24 seven and on top of that we had theory and all sorts um mine was actually a degree course but so then i had to do some writing alongside that okay. um so yeah. you decided quite early on that you wanted to go into performing yeah i mean i'd always i'd always danced sung and acted in various different degree like when i was at school i would do after school dance classes pretty much every day i sung and i loved the theater and i knew that that was always something that i had a, such a huge passion for but to be totally honest when i was at school i never really saw it as a possibility because our school ushered us into thinking that everyone had to go to university and get a proper degree so i'd actually applied to go to universities i had a place to read history at southampton okay. and got to the point where i was so close to going i think it was almost like a few weeks before i went and and I just turned around to my parents and said, I can't do it. I'm, my heart's not in it. So I ended up deferring and taking a year out. I got a job. I worked for a pharmaceutical company for a year, which was thoroughly boring. What, like as a sales rep? No, I worked in the, oh, even worse than that. I did filing. <laughs> oh, right. Like, I literally oh, spent living my the year dream. <laughs> inside a filing cabinet with no windows, just filing pharmaceutical studies. And you were like, was... I have made good life choices. <laughs> but you know what? It was It was so good for me in so many ways because from a young age my parents have been very very good at instilling in me a good work I've said good so many times <laughs> instilling in me a good work ethic and I remember the injustice that I felt when I was at school because I had the real privilege of being able to go to a private school but the injustice that I felt when my parents when I turned 16 made me go and get a job and none of my friends had a job and I would just remember being like this is so unfair my mum literally I remember I remember her standing over me while I had to write my CV and she drove me around to every place that would have me in in our the area where I grew up and I had to take my CV in ended up getting a job at this place called the George and worked there as a waitress for a while and I just remember it feeling so unfair that none of my friends were in the same position as me and even little things like when I turned 17 all my friends got brand new cars oh. and I had like a 10 year old like clapped out polo that I was like this is so unfair I just want a new car and a shiny mini but now I look back and I think actually what was what was taught to me then was so valuable because I learned the value of hard work so much and then also to appreciate that you have to work for everything that you want and I think you know working for that pharmaceutical company it was awful at times and I hated it but I also met some amazing people that had a completely different background to my own and I think that was really interesting for me because I had lived in a bubble up until that point of going to private school and all of my friends being very very privileged and suddenly I was working for this company where that was people's day job they were sort of women of 40 50 plus and I was the youngest by a, a long stretch and you know weirdly I actually developed some amazing connections with them and I still have them on Facebook now and I still find it really lovely to think back to that time because I do think it was the it was the first time in my life where I had my eyes open to the fact that there's a whole world out there of people that have all different types of lives and different problems and problems that way outweighed any of the stuff that I thought was you know issues to myself and it was it was very grounding yeah to, to experience that and then off the back of that to then go um away to to bird and to be around another 
group of people that were completely different to anything I'd ever experienced. You know, creative people are some of my favorite people in the world. I mean, they're eccentric and crazy and colorful. And my year was full of amazing people all with like huge personalities. And I found that particularly in the first year, actually terrifying. And I had such a sense of imposter syndrome and just feeling completely inadequate. But towards the end, I really realized that actually those three years were the best thing for me in in kind of creating a person that I think I the, the, the person that I think I am now which is like accepting of anyone and everyone and just so so kind of grateful to be surrounded by people with diff- different experiences to my own yeah those are the experiences that kind of they really make you don't they it sounds mm. like such a cliche but you can't plan those things you just have to go out there and experience all of these different lives yeah and I think you know there's so much to be said for all of us sort of existing in a bit of a bubble sometimes and I think privilege is such a funny word because you know what is privilege I guess it's pretty subjective but to me I've definitely I'll happily say that that's something that I I think I had growing up but what I did then feel like I got was a real eye-open experience of 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 engaging with people that had completely different backgrounds to myself and being able to find some common ground with them and be able to realize that, yes, I am privileged and I can't change that. But there's also so much that I can do to relate to other people yeah. and, and and feel as though I am. So, yeah. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. So you said that when you went to university, you couldn't even boil an egg. So let's talk about the second Desert Island dish. Mm. And that is the first dish that you learned to cook. Um, so the first dish I learned, I mean, properly cooking... I would say the first dish I probably learned to cook was, I, I think I learned to make fairy cakes or something like that at university. But proper dish, like thinking of the, the early days of clean eating Alice, I remember, oh, do you want failures or do you want like... Oh, I want everything. Okay. Yeah, I love failures. Failures are, okay, this is the classic. So I remember this actually came up on my time hop literally yesterday. I heard somewhere, and this is the classic like in the ether of the internet like hearing something and being like i'm gonna do that but i heard somewhere that polenta was supposed to be really healthy okay so i went out i went to morrison's which is my local shop when i was at university and found polenta and i decided that i was going to make myself polenta mash now like from someone that couldn't cook even an egg <laughs> this is a very ambitious yeah that was ambitious. ambitious first challenge but i just got it in my head that that was something that i wanted to make and it turned out to be horrendous it was like a watery mess <laughs> and my plate was just it looked like yellow soup and then I just put a salmon fillet oh, in the middle of it you and persevered like, I yeah like it. <laughs> and like some broccoli and I even remember like forcing myself to eat it because I was like I think this is how it's supposed to be so I'm just going to enjoy it and eat it because maybe I need to teach myself to like this so yeah I remember that and there and for anyone that is listening to this and they want some actual evidence of that if you scroll to right back to the beginning of my Instagram you will see that photo oh my goodness it's so you still actually, there you really did persevere really? you posted it I you... posted it <laughs> I was like polenta mash woohoo I think it's like my second post Alice probably but, loads of people cook that because of you I know god <laughs> no because I probably had about 10 followers then but yeah anyway that was one of my first dishes but that wasn't learning to properly cook I think learning to properly cook I just I like simplicity I always have done so you know really simple things like being able to I, I, I liked making baked oats was something that I started having for breakfast because I realized that actually I got felt 10 times better when I had a proper breakfast in me rather than having like Belvita bread yeah <laughs> biscuits or whatever before my first ballet class so yeah something like that I think 
You've talked a lot about the environment at drama school and the sort of expectation to look a certain way, whether that's actually said or whether it's just an expectation. Mm. But that must have been quite a stressful environment. It's sort of it's a lot of pressure on top of everything that you're already doing there. Yeah, it is. And I think particularly for women, girls, us, the girls that were in my year anyway, it was like the unspoken thing, you know, like it was always done in, in a very sly way. You know, never, no one, had, no one actually ever turned around and said, you need to lose weight, but it'll be, I just remember sitting in my first, at the end of my first year, we had a set, we had sort of like meetings with our tutors and they would say things like, you really need to work on your core strength and you really need to, you know, make sure that you're keeping yourself healthy. And it was always dropped in, in, in ways that were kind of like a little bit sly but at the same time you just kind of you you knew what they were getting at and also I think something that I found difficult was you enter into an environment where because everyone feels they they need to fit a mold everyone is naturally like or I felt like at college very slim tall leggy whatever and that's seen as like the aspirational physique so if you're anything other than that you suddenly feel less than even though there's so many jobs out there in the west end for so many different types of bodies and people but you you feel as though you have to fit this exact mold and if you don't you are you are somehow not as not as good or you're not going to be as successful so yeah it was a lot of pressure and it's definitely something that I struggled with particularly in my first year and I think in my second year and third year what I did find was that I was lucky enough to get given roles in musicals and and I think for someone to just show some confidence in me, which I needed because I felt I was so lacking in confidence that I needed that kind of boost of, oh, I am actually quite good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Everyone needs that. Yeah. Especially. And so that helped me. And I, and that, and it all came at like, it's funny how I, I truly believe in fate and everything just seemed to come at the same time. You know, I started this blog, which helped me to feel like I had a bit of an identity outside of college and that I was you know doing something for myself and it felt like I was really making positive changes with it and then suddenly I was given the role of Elle Woods in Legally Blonde which was my second year musical oh my goodness you were the main part yeah that's so and exciting that was you like, are such an Elle Woods <laughs> that was such um <laughs> that was such a perfect opportunity for me to suddenly be like oh I'm actually I'm actually doing okay like I've been given a main part and maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am and everything just sort of stemmed from there, really. Yeah. So it was it was definitely a real turning point. And I, t- I definitely believe that was all meant to happen because it really spurred me on to then, I guess, feel as though I could achieve a lot more than I thought I could. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting because obviously what you're doing, it's a really physically demanding job. So it's really interesting. I don't know, there doesn't seem to have been a focus on helping you all with that side of things. I mean, like... <laughs> We had something called conditioning, which okay. was an hour a week, but that generally involved me like lounging around in the gym, <laughs> pretending that I was doing like a, a hamstring curl every oh, like sort of 10 minutes. That sounds like my gym routine. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it being so relaxed and every now and then we like maybe every four weeks we'd like get out one of the gym mats and practice backflips <laughs> assisted, not unassisted, but that was about the extent of what we did. My, co- my old college is probably going to hate me saying this. <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening. Everyone else was really good. It was just me that was a little bit lazy. <laughs> Let's talk about the third desert island dish. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. Mm. My best dish I've ever eaten was in Portugal. 
it was on in a beach shack and it was in the middle of nowhere. I remember driving for about an hour to get to this restaurant. Couldn't tell you the name of it. No idea. So if anyone wants to try and find it, I'm really sorry. I can't help you. But I remember that it was in a shack and it was a massive dish that was probably if you think about like a massive cooking pot, like a big silver, almost like an industrial size urn. Yeah. That was put in the middle of the of the table. And it was my family. So me, my mom, my brother, my sister, and my dad. And it was full of like a lobster risotto. Oh my goodness. And they basically served it with like warm bread. And we just scooped out the all, like it was all kind of like serve yourself, this lobster risotto. And it was like, melt in your mouth sensational and i don't know what they put in it and i remember i wasn't that old either i must have been like 15 or 16 so i don't i can even tell you what they put in it because i wasn't old enough to think oh i know i'll ask yeah. what they put in this <laughs> i was just like oh my god this is amazing but i remember that being one of the best things and you know when something really sticks in your mouth to the point that like when you talk about it you can always taste the flavors of when you were there yeah. um so that was probably the best dish i've ever eaten you had me at lobster yeah so oh, that sounds so amazing good. also kind of makes it even better that we we won't be able to find no it. i know i'm so sorry. i could ask my mom but yeah <laughs> Lord knows. <laughs> <laughs> so you started your Instagram account essentially as a way of keeping yourself accountable in this new way of eating and exercising. Mm. At that point, all of social media was basically a hobby. It wasn't this Mm. career path that it is today. But at what point did you realize, hey, people are actually interested in me and what I'm doing and this might actually become a thing? I don't think I ever realized that it would become a thing until I was offered a book deal. That was like the first time where I was like, oh my God, like, mum I've made it (laughs) but I think the first time I realized that people were really listening was when I was at college and I just remember that it was a funny thing because I was I was really invested in college and I used to think about that a lot and so my only time to Instagram which is so different now because I I feel like social media takes up a lot of my thoughts now but I would come home and I would sit on my sofa and I'd go on Instagram and every day I used to be like wow it's actually quite a lot of people started to follow me you know and every day it would go up and up and up and people would be writing stuff and sort of commenting on things and I really remember thinking Hmm, this is really interesting. Like, I don't know what I'm doing that's different to anyone else, but I guess, you know, it's, it's fun and I'm enjoying it and it seems to be, you know, helping other people. So I'm going to carry on. And were you at that point still working? You would, you were doing the acting and perform because you, you would, I was training at college. Okay. Yeah. So this was in my like second. So I started it in my second year of college. But then even when you sort of started doing it as a job, you were still touring the country. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I I signed my book deal when I was already on tour. I graduated early. So I was actually, I got an agent very early on in my, well, very early on in my last term of my third year and ended up being seen for Annie and got the job, which meant that I missed my graduation and left college early because I was like, oh my God, I've got a job and went on tour for a year with the show which was amazing and like honestly one of the best years of my life but yeah I I was still on tour when I got off the book deal which meant that I was juggling doing eight to ten shows a week and writing a book and trying to manage my Instagram and do everything else so it was the most amazing year of my life but I genuinely don't think I've ever been so tired <laughs> in all my life you wouldn't want to repeat it I remember that my at the end of tour my mom was like I'm, I'm booking you a holiday because you need to go away like you are I was you know sometimes when you're so exhausted because you've put so much energy into, in 
into stuff that you don't really get to fully enjoy and appreciate it. So I remember coming to the end of tour and, and I was so exhausted by like the last few venues that we did that I just, I was in a daze and I don't remember feeling as excited as I probably should have done to really end what had been an incredible year. And actually at the time I didn't realize that that would probably be my last show that I, that I was going to do as well, because obviously my, my career's gone in a different trajectory. So it does, it does fill me with sadness that, that I, that I worked myself to that place, but Hey, like what, what can you do like that? I can't go back and change it. So but I remember my mum booking me a holiday, going to Spain for a week and just like, I'm not a big sleeper. Like I, I get eight hours a night, but I'm always up early and I like to kind of seize the day as such. But I remember sleeping in and just falling asleep like everywhere. Like I'd like, get up, have some breakfast, lie by the pool, fall asleep, wake up, like talk to my mum for maybe 10 minutes, fall asleep. So yeah, I really was exhausted. But yeah, it was, it was a great time. That's so interesting what you say about not necessarily recognizing the big moments in your life mm. as they're happening mm. because sometimes you can only see that stuff with hindsight can't yeah, you yeah of course and I, I find that a lot actually like I'll sometimes have like a meeting with my manager and you sort of look back at everything you've done and you're like oh right yeah I have actually, I've actually achieved quite a lot this yeah year. <laughs> but I think sometimes I don't know if everyone feels this that works in the social media world but I feel that you know you live so in the day-to-day because and it's similar to the acting world actually you never know when the next job is going to come in you never know when you're going to be old news you never know when you know people aren't necessarily going to be as interested in what you've got to say as before so you sort of live in this weird state of anxiety of I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring so I've just got to do whatever I can today to make sure that I see another tomorrow in terms of like work sense so it's very hard to then appreciate some of the stuff you're doing because when you're doing it, you're already thinking, okay, I'm doing this. What am I going to do next? Yeah, that's And like, I've really tried, it's particularly in the last few months to just be able to practice gratitude for what I am doing. Because if you don't, it's very easy to, to get into a habit of being, of, of doing amazing things that have sort of built and built and built that you never feel as though you're actually doing great things because you're just constantly in the state of like, oh, that was really good, on to the next one. Oh, that was really good, on to the next one. Whereas like now I'm really trying actively to each time I do a job or I get something through or something happens to stop and say, wow, this is really cool. This is amazing. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I'm going to enjoy it and appreciate it for what it is now and then allow myself maybe tomorrow or the day after to move on to the next thing. And, you know, part of that has, um, has come from the fact that I've actually taken the or or work to the point where I have the opportunity to delegate a lot of the stuff that I do now so I've got a PA which means that like admin stuff is actually a lot easier than having to do it all myself and you are such a big chief (laughs) and I've got like a manager who is amazing and helps me with all of my brand partnerships and you know even little things like just feeling as though I've got you know a team a team yeah. yeah and that makes a big difference so yeah it's taken the weight off a little bit and allowed me to have that space to appreciate and enjoy what I'm doing but like you say I think that is something that you have to work at I don't think it comes naturally to a lot of people Mm. because you are always looking to the next thing Mm. but I think probably the key to living a happy life is to be able to celebrate the wins sort of as they come let's talk about the fourth desert island dish that's your favorite sandwich I'm not a huge sandwich person per se purely because I I don't even know why. I I don't really like, like my sandwich wouldn't be the first thing that I'd grab and go. Okay. 
But I won't judge you. But <laughs> growing up, I, like I said previously, I went to dance classes almost every day after school. Every single day, we would stop at Tesco, I'd get some food on my way to ballet, and then I'd go to ballet. Every single day, without fail, prawn mayonnaise. Oh, I, I had a feeling yes. you were going to say prawn mayo. Do you know what? Like, I don't know what it is about it, but it's just the best sandwich. It's and it sandwich. has to be, I have to say, so I've, I've tried a lot of prawn mayo sandwiches in my time. M&S do the best one. Okay. By far. But a mayo not with like the Mary Rose sauce. No, like just a, just a, like a, yeah. a nice prawn mayo, but M&S is very, very good for that. Um, so that would be my favorite sandwich. I wholeheartedly <laughs> <laughs> So you've gone on to write three books, which mm. is so many books. Mm. And your debut book, which is very cool to be able to say debut book, but your debut book outsold Deliciously Ella and Jamie Oliver. Like, can you even get your head around that? Yeah, it's pretty nuts, isn't it? Yes. Because it must have been so exciting sort of getting the book contract and signing yeah. it and then writing it. But then you put it out to the world and... Do you know what? Now, like, it's it's one of those things, going back to what we were saying earlier, is it feels very surreal now to think about that time because I was so swept up in a world of just saying yes. Yes, 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 I'll do this, yes, I'll do that. <laughs> That when the book came in, I was like, yes, of course, without thinking, oh my God, I'm doing eight to 10 shows a week. I am exhausted and I need to write a book. So a lot of it is, is a little bit of a blur, but I just think, you know, my books are, are something that I'm so incredibly proud of and so incredibly honored to have had the opportunity to, to write. I have a passion for food. I love cooking. I'm just so grateful that I got the opportunity to be able to put that, like put pen to paper and to be able to write my own sort of my own cookbook and have yeah. my own opportunity to to create recipes and stuff so yeah it was a very exciting time and you're gonna have them forever which is amazing. i know i'm um, on that point of saying yes to everything not naming any names but were there things that when you look back you think hmm maybe i wouldn't have said yes to that now because it's quite important to learn to say no yeah it? of course there are so many things that really? i that i've done that i think god but we would never move forwards if we never made mistakes. And I am, I've made so many, I've had so many failures in my time. I mean, many, many. Really? I don't believe yeah. that. Alice. Like, oh my God, I've tried to set up a YouTube about five times and every single time I've given up because I've been like, I just can't do this. This is too much. And I've tried to do so many things. Like I recorded a whole series of interviews that just never happened. Like there's so many business opportunities that I've tried and failed at. And I'm okay with that because what it does is I am, I'm not the most successful businesswoman. Like there are so many things that I don't do well. I'm terrible with money. I'm awful at taxes. I cannot manage people. I'm not very organized. I'm a scatty mess, but I am a million percent, probably one of the most persistent people in terms of every time I get knocked back, I will get up and I will try again. And I think that is actually far more beneficial to me anyway, than being amazing at everything. You know, there are, there are so many times where I have failed and had a big old cry and I just woke up the next day and been like, oh my God, I'm going to do this instead. And that kind of resilience, I, Lord knows where I got it from, but it is like my backbone that keeps me going every single day because regardless of what happens I know that I am a fighter and I am very persistent like I said and you know this career that I'm going on it is one of those one it, it is that kind of career path where it 
like no one's trod this path before. So actually like I don't have a rule book that I have to follow. Yeah. And that means that I can make these mistakes and I can do things that might not necessarily be, you know, the dumb thing, but it means that I can, you know, maybe fail once but succeed three times more or whatever and each time as long as I sit back and I say well what did I learn from that and how can I move forward in a more positive way then you know it's fine and I just think we're surrounded now you know when I first started the comparison thing was it was there but it wasn't it didn't feel as oppressive as it does now whereas now we are constantly surrounded by what everyone else is doing everyone else's successes um you know there's this idea of social perfectionism that we're constantly having to portray that all of us are so successful with our careers and our love lives and our friendships and you know it does feel intense and it feels like overbearing exhausting yeah of course so you know for me to be able to sit here and say actually i'm not I know it sounds really cringy and cliche, but I'm not perfect. There's loads of things that I've done wrong, but I actually think being persistent and being a hard worker and being being able to get back up when you've been knocked back is actually way, way better. And, and to be transparent with those and to, you know, show your flaws is 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 going to be far more beneficial. And I hope that, you know, one of the things that I try to bring to social media is that, you know, I don't try and always show that life is perfect all the time and, you know, the sun shines out my ass because it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> um, no, I think all of those things that you've described, they're superpowers. Like they're things to be really proud mm. of. Let's pause there and talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. So this is my go-to evening dessert, which I pretty much have almost every single day. And my close friends will know this. My go-to, my dish you eat the most, most often is Greek yogurt. I don't know if I can say the brand, but yeah, Greek yogurt or any type of yogurt. Okay. With frozen raspberries and coconut almond butter. Ooh. Okay. Sort this of drizzled on the top. Drizzled on the top. I mean, in abundance. There's a big old, there's a big old, <laughs> yeah, big old teaspoon or whatever. No, more than that, tablespoon. It's like, I don't know why. I've just got, I got into the habit of having it. And then I got to the point where I was like, I can't not have it. It's just, it's just so good. So every day, pretty much, my boyfriend knows me, like, I'm like clockwork. I'll have a dinner and I try and mix up my dinners because, like, I, you know, variety is great in our diets and whatever. But, I will always go to, go for that as my go-to dessert. So. Sounds really good. I'm going to need to try that. <laughs> it is so good. Let's talk a little bit about your mission because you say it's to change the way women feel about exercise. So what is the root of that? What do you want women to go from to? So growing up, I think exercise was purely for me seen as a weight loss tool. There was no connection for me, for me anyway, in my, in my experience between exercise and good health it was more either you do it as a team sport which is something that I experienced at at, uh, school and I was never part I was never sporty at all really yeah at all I was like the least sporty person I was not on any teams I didn't enjoy it all my all my close friends were really good at lacrosse which is the sport they played at our school I was terrible I mean really bad I used to wish I was good but it just it just didn't come naturally to me so I just sort of wrote myself off as like never being sporty and therefore never being into like exercising so no one actually ever stopped me and said well actually like there's loads of different ways to exercise and actually there's a massive connection between exercise and good health it's not about whether you're the best sports person or whether you want to lose weight you know because the other the other side of this was that in every magazine it would be like you know go on the treadmill 15 minutes and you lose five pounds (laughs) um so 
I just think that we as women, we've had it drilled into us that exercise is purely there to lose weight. And then it needs to be something that we use to, I guess, as some sort of a, a control within our lifestyle to either burn off some of the food that we might have eaten or as a way of maintaining or managing our weight. There's loads of problems with that, you know, like even just psychologically having that association between exercise and weight loss means that the motivation to do it is is almost skewed. It's sort of, it's harder to maintain that, isn't it? Because you're kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. Whereas if you learn to love it for the reasons that you should, it's going to change your life in a way that it wouldn't otherwise. There's so many, there's so many reasons why exercise is good for us, you know, and like there's so much research coming out now to support exercise being brilliant for mental health, exercise being good for kind of like those in older ages to, to, to um, improve cognitive function. There's so much research to support the fact that it's good for women, particularly to improve our bone density, you know, we're more, more prone to get things like osteoporosis and just generally like as a, as a stress reliever, as a mood lifter and None of that's ever really spoken about because it's kind of the unsexy side of exercise. For me as well, it's often things like the community aspect of exercise, the social aspect, the ability to be able to enter into a a sense of community. And I think things like CrossFit are great for that and class environments are great for that because they foster this kind of like this very inviting kind of um, social experience, which means that the motivation to work out and to want to exercise is far greater than if you were, you know, dragging yourself to the gym to do 20 minutes on the treadmill because you think you need to burn a few calories. So yeah, I just think, that that mindset shift really is something that I'm passionate about, about driving and making sure that women, I guess, don't feel as though exercise is this, is this kind of, oh, I've got to do it, you know, find a way of exercising that you enjoy, find a way of moving that is sustainable for you, whether that's going to Zumba or whether that's running a marathon, you know, I, I don't mind as long as you enjoy it as long as you find it a, a sustainable way of, of doing that and of, of keeping that in your lifestyle in some way, then great. Okay, let's talk about the sixth desert island dish. And that's your go-to dinner party dish. My go-to dinner party dish would generally be... I love a beef wellington. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit tricky, a little bit fiddly. You're but, pulling out all the stops. Really. Yeah, but I do think that a beef wellington, if done well, is cracking. Yeah. Sometimes nicer with venison, if you can. Like individual mini venison wellingtons are very good. So yeah, that would probably be my go-to. Yeah, that sounds good. Mm. Would you serve a pudding? Oh, always. Yeah. What's my favorites i like to do a couple i do think pavlova is always an easy winner because everyone loves a pav yeah people really do people love a pav <laughs> um and i love berries so that's a great one but people love a pav. people do love a pav <laughs> and that's that's from my mum as well my mum was a great pav maker what else do i do for dessert do you know what i actually don't do dinner parties that often which is really bad but our flat is you know we've got a two-person table so it's not really spacious enough to have you know six or seven people over for dinner you're also quite a busy person yes and you know what sometimes because i'm because i find i'm cooking a lot in the week and whatever when i want to see friends i i often we're so lucky there's so many amazing restaurants in london i want to go out and eat yeah no that's (laughs) totally understandable and have someone else do the hard work on and the washing up yes exactly on desert island dishes we've got a cookbook corner so i wondered what's your most treasured cookbook my most treasured cookbook I would say, what do I use the most? I like uh, Jamie Oliver's five ingredient book. Actually, no, my most treasured cookbook is Jamie Oliver's Italy, actually, because his 
David Loftus, uh, Jamie Oliver's food photographer. I went to uh, shoot with him. I had the pleasure of shooting with him for something. Amazing guy. Like I am. David Loftus is shot like everyone who's anyone's yeah. cookbook, and he is so lovely. But I remember picking up the book when I was there and being like, oh my God, this is amazing. I mean, all the truffle, all the butter, all the yumminess. But my boyfriend absolutely loves uh, Italian food and anything truffly, anything, you know, pasta, he loves. So we have made a few from his his book before. And I think if I was, you know what, like, because often I sort of make my own recipes up. But if I was going to make like a real standout dish, I'd want it to be something really like just yummy and i don't know a little bit extra you know you'd go out eat something that you'd have to maybe spend a bit more money on but that's really delicious yeah and i think sometimes like the simple stuff done really really well is is the best so like a, I keep saying truffle but i'm, I'm you're making Truffle's like the best truffle pasta <laughs> is just second to none agreed we're on to the final seventh desert island dish and that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island oh my god this is so hard you are allowed several courses. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So I think I would start with, as my main course, I'm going to just say it because we were talking about it and I've suddenly just got this intense craving for a big bowl of like buttery truffle pasta. Yeah. That would probably be my desert island dish. <laughs> and then I would finish with my mum one year. It was probably one of the best things I've ever had. Made a hot cross bun bread and butter pudding oh my goodness with um salted caramel ice cream right this pudding was probably one of the best like bar my favorite meal was probably one of the best things i've ever had it was amazing so i would say i'd have that for dessert yes that sounds incredible (laughs) all the carbs yes (laughs) alice living those were your desert island dishes thank Thank you you so so much. much So there we have it, another delicious day of Desert Island Dishes. Don't forget, you can find me on Instagram at Margie Namora. If you haven't yet left a five-star rating, well, now is your moment. (laughs) And your good deed for the week could be recommending Desert Island Dishes to your friends and colleagues. I love bringing it to you every week, and your reviews really do make the world of difference. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to visit the website desertislanddishes.co for all the recipes, lots of kitchen tips and tricks, and I will see you next week. Bye.